Margie and I uh, and Michael went to Wyoming this summer for our family reunion. And the place we stayed, we got an Airbnb. It was really cool. It was an old uh, early 1900s train depot that they had actually picked up and moved to this, to this ranch. And, uh, so it, and it had all this memorabilia around there. And a lot of it was of the Hole in the Wall gang. Um, because apparently... Uh, where we were was very close to the Hole in the Wall hideout. Now, for those that don't know, the, this is almost like American myth, uh, mythology. There was a, a, a gang of robbers led by um, a guy named Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, and uh, they roamed the West, uh, robbing trains and banks and things like this, and they, could never, and they, they just got away with it over and over and over again, never got caught. And one of the ways that they did that, though, is they had this place they hid out called the Hole in the Wall. Um, and so, as I was uh, preparing the sermon, I got to thinking about how, um, I was like, okay, what was a Hole in the Wall really like? And so I started, I, I Googled it, went to Wikipedia, a couple of sites, and saw some pictures of it. And, and it's really what it was, it's this place in Wyoming and there's a, a big valley with a river running through it. And on every side, there's these steep cliffs and mountains that are completely impassable. Except at the very southern tip, where the river comes out, there, there is an opening that's probably maybe a little wider than, than this church building, where you could come into this. And, this, and for 60 years... Outlaws all over the West use this place as a hideout. And what I discovered was amazing because the entrance to it came across a long plain, so there was no sneaking up on them. You could, they could see people coming from far away. And for 60 years, because of the way that they functioned within the, within the hideout and the way that they operated, um, no lawman had, was ever able to enter the hole in the wall. They, could, they fended them off because they had cover and elevation and small opening. And even undercover ops never penetrated. So for 60 years, this place was impenetrable. No one could get in unless you belonged. And I got to thinking about that's kind of what Jesus gives us in the message that we have this morning is that salvation is, is a place that you can't get to if you don't belong. You can't fake it. You can't go undercover and, and achieve salvation. There's no body that's going to be in heaven that doesn't belong to Jesus Christ. And it's really kind of what the message is this morning is because the enemy honestly spends so much time imitating God telling you just enough to make you feel like maybe you're headed in the right direction, but getting you just off the mark. But the kingdom of heaven is just like the hole in the wall. There's 360 degrees from which you can approach it, but there's only one direction from which you're going to get in. And no matter how good it sounds, no matter how... how you see, it seems to make sense, unless it's the way the Lord said to do it, 
you're not getting in. And I think that's what I want you to carry from this morning is, is that we want to examine this passage that Jesus is saying and we want to talk about a little bit about how the enemy deceives us and where do you really need to be to be in the kingdom of heaven. So if you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13 and stand with me as we read. We're going to start in verse 22. Now keeping in mind, he's been... We have a series of parables or, or, or miracles where he's talking about the, about the need for repentance. He's, and he's, so, some key points to remember as we read too is, remember Luke is writing to Theophilus, who is a Roman authority. So he's writing to a guy who is not Jewish, trying to sh- share with him and say, hey, this is who God is, this is who Jesus is, this is what salvation is, and this is why I can write it to you, even though you're not a Jew. So, beginning in verse 22, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And this is his last trip to Jerusalem. He's, he is headed towards the cross. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from the east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Father, I pray that the message this morning will come clear to our hearts, that the changes and the growth or just the love of you that you want us to have and to grow into, Lord, uh, that, that you will spark that through your word. Pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You can be seated. So here Jesus is saying, and he's saying to them, you know, the, the question, first off, recognize, he's traveling among the Jews. Now, the question is probably not, as you and I would frame it and go, hey, are there going to be just a few people saved and a lot lost? Their question is probably more along the lines of, is it just going to be us Jews who are saved? Or is it, gonna, you know, is it just going to be a handful who are saved? I don't know if you guys, anybody ever encounter a, a rich kid who feels like they, they're owed something because dad has money? Never. Yeah. Is there anybody more obnoxious on the face of the planet? <laughs> okay, that was a bad question. You know, in the Navy, it was the same thing. I, for those who don't know, yeah, I retired out of the Navy, and a lot of times we would get young guys whose 
dads were, had been in the military, especially, you know, if you had, you know, a guy whose dad or grandfather was an admiral or something like that, sometimes there would be this sense of entitlement. And until you took him aside and you said, dude, you ain't done jack. It's like, what your dad did means nothing. They would just run in this pride, in this arrogance, thinking that they were owed something. And that's how the Jews were. They were like that because you were supposed to have that out there so you could... Okay, the Lord's going to have to help us through this today. <laughs> so, so let's get back on track here. So Jesus is talking to these, to these people, and they think because they're Jews, they're probably going to be sitting at the wedding feast of, uh, of the, the, the Lamb. They're going to be the ones in salvation, and he, they're basically asking who's going to be excluded outside of us. You know, and so Jesus' answer is very unexpected. The truth that he gives is very unexpected. And the fact that Luke wants to bring this out, he's, he's giving a message to Theophilus that says, just because you're a Roman doesn't mean that you can't be at the wedding feast. That's, and it's important to understand what Jesus is trying to say and who he's saying it to. He says a very surprising thing strive to enter through the narrow door for many i tell you will seek to enter and will not be able now we believe in that salvation is by grace alone through faith that there is nothing we can do for salvation so why would jesus then say strive strive for this Remember, it's about the entry. It's not about what ha- it's not the feast itself. It's the entry into the feast. What, is, what have we been talking about for three weeks? Repentance. You cannot enter the narrow door except through repentance. And he says, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And here's the reason why. Because we love our sin. We love our sin. If you don't hate your sin, you can't repent. And if you can't repent, you can't enter that door. So Jesus is saying you need to strive to enter through the door. You need to repent. The message is this consistent same message he's been giving the problem is we can't repent except that the Lord does that work in us. Remember what we talked about. We're dead people in a grave. We're dead people in the biggest mass grave that you can possibly imagine, and we're rotten and we're dying, and we have no power to repent because we're dead. Except that God brings you to life. And what Jesus is trying to tell this guy is, you know what? Just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you get to come through this door. The entrance through this door is the same for you as it is for everybody. You must repent. And what is repentance? 
It is seeing your sin as gross and detestable and turning from it and in faith turning to God. It's not complex. It's not complicated. It's just really hard. <laughs> right? It, it's, it's not some massive ritual we have to do, but it is hard. Except God does it in you. It doesn't happen. Now, it's one door. There's only one way. If you were the enemy, let's put, let's, let's put ourselves in the place of the enemy. If you were the enemy and you wanted to lead people astray, you know, there are people out there that aren't going to just follow. You know, there, are pe- there are people who have that saying is like, you know, when, when you confront them with their sin, they say, yeah, well, I'm going to keep doing it and I'm going to go to party with my friends in hell. Oh, I heard it in the Navy all the time. It was the, it was the standard line. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm going to hell and we're going to have a big party there. That was, that, they would say it over and over again. The enemy doesn't have to work very hard for those guys. They, they love their sin. They know they love their sin and they're going to stay there. But there are some people who think they're, they want to try. They want to be good. They can, and there, there are little tricks. Who is Jesus Christ? He is God incarnate. He is part of the triune God. He is fully God, fully man, the one who died on the cross, rose from the grave, and is seated in heaven as the King of Kings. Yet, Mormonism will tell you that, he was a cre- that he's not God, God the Father. He is a God that was created by God the Father. Jehovah Witnesses will say that he is an angel. Islam will tell you that he's a prophet. Hinduism will say he was a great teacher. There's a whole plethora of people out there today who will say that he, he's, he's just, uh, he, he's like your, uh, he, your uh, balm. You know, he's your, he's your self-improvement guide, right? That, that he, you just think positive thoughts and he'll, he'll take care of you. All of these things are coming from every angle except the angle of repentance and faith. Repentance from your sin that you see it as vile and wicked and, and, and horrible. And faith that you understand that Jesus Christ the living God, died on a cross, rose from the grave so that your sin would be paid for. That it, it, it wouldn't just be swept under the rug and ignored. Anybody in here ever been sinned against by somebody else in such a way that it, that it just absolutely changed your life? Is it justice for that person's sin to be brushed under the rug and, and not? No. Our sin was paid for. It is important to know that. Every sin ever committed will be punished. It either will be punished on the cross 
or for you an eternity in hell. And there's only one way that you get that forgiveness from the cross. One. There are impenetrable walls from every other direction that people are saying. There, is not, there are not many ways to God. There's one. Jesus Christ said, He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Period. The enemy doesn't have to get you far off track. He just has to move you a little bit. If you were trying to get into the hole in the wall, and you got a spy, and he started to give you information, all he would have to tell you is, is come one degree off of north or south or east or west, and all you're going to run into is a bunch of cliffs. Many are going to try, try to enter. Few are going to get in, but the reason few are going to get in is because they're not able to repent of their sins. And it's good, they're not going to be able to repent of their sins because they love their sin. You and I were just like that, by the way. It shouldn't make us arrogant. It should not make us arrogant. It should not make us mean-spirited. It should not make us judgmental. That was me apart from God's grace. When I see someone who's struggling with that narrow door, with that repentance, it should produce in me a heart that is broken. It should produce in, in me a heart cry to pray for that person that the Lord would get, show them the same mercy and grace that He showed me. Not, not some arrogance. Not some high and mighty, hypocritical, judgmental attitude. Rather one that says, you know, if God did this miracle in me, why can't he do it in you? He goes on and says, because this is what happens. He says, when once the master of the house is risen and shut the door. Now, Jesus kind of switches the analogy. He said, it's a narrow door. It's hard to get through. He says, but at some point it's going to shut. The master of the house is going to get up and he's going to shut the door. Basically, all the invited guests are going to be there. And he's going to say, it's time for the banquet to begin. Let's shut the door. You're going to come to the door and you're going to, you're going to stand outside to, and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, but we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. These people are coming and they're saying, we had an encounter with you, Lord. We were there. We ate with you. We listened to your teaching. They were churchgoers. They came and sat. They came every Sunday, or for them, every Saturday, and they came to the. They came into the temple, or they they came into the synagogue, and they heard God's word. And some of them actually 
dined with Jesus. They, were, they listened to him teach in the streets. They were associated. They had an encounter with the Lord. The problem is they didn't have an encounter with their Lord. He wasn't their Lord. He was just a Lord to them. It is not enough to just come and sit. If you don't surrender to God, if you don't repent, and you don't, in faith, take the gift He offers, and then declare Him the Lord of your life, you're going to be standing outside the door trying to argue your way in. Because at that point, this is the final judgment. And at this point, all excuses are gone. You will see, we will see Jesus in His glorified state. And it will be for us who see Him as our Savior, it will be the most glorious thing ever. The fact that we have the almighty, all-powerful, living God as our benefactor. But to those who hate Him, who reject Him, in that moment, it will be terrifying. It will be absolutely terrifying because then a lifetime of rejection and disregard and anger will be there and there will be no answer for them because the door will be shut. Sometimes that door gets shut because you die. Sometimes that, that, that door happens because you choose never to open it. But the bottom line is, is the door will shut one day. Which side are you going to be on? You're going to be on the side reclining at the table? Or are you going to be at the side trying to reason your way in? Jesus talks about, over in Matthew, a very similar uh, story. Many Bible scholars believe they're drawn from the same source. That there is a king who has a wedding feast for his son. He, and he invites, he has all these people that he's pre-invited. These would be the Jews. And he sends out his servants and he says, hey, tell them it's time for the wedding to come. And they all make excuses and abuse his servants and don't come. That would be what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing to, to Jesus, what many, many of the religious leaders were doing. And the parable goes on and, and the king sends out to punish those who wouldn't come. And he, says, and he sends his servants out into the highways and byways and he says, you go find everybody and you bring them in so that my house will be full in Eastern cultures, a full house is a sense of honor. That people want to come into your house is important. It, when someone comes to your door and says, we would like to stay with you, what they're saying is, you're important and we like you. In America, we see it as a nuisance. But, but <laughs> it's like you know, the, the old saying, you know, yeah, companies like, like fish, after three days it starts to stink. Um, that's not the way the Eastern culture processes it's a DC thing. But, but understand, coming, people coming to your child's wedding is a sign of honor. 
And when people reject that, they, they reject your son, they reject you. One guy shows up to the wedding feast and he doesn't have wedding clothes on. Now you'd think, hey, he showed up, he honored the son, you know, he's, he, he came here and he's present. But he didn't come by invitation of the, of the king's servants, otherwise he'd have had the wedding, the wed, the wedding clothes. So he's just basically, for the, he's a wedding crasher. He's there for the free food and that's it. The king sees him and says, where's your wedding clothes? And he says, I don't, I don't have any. So he has, he's, what's he do? He says, bind him and toss him into the outer darkness. If you're sitting here and you're thinking because you're sitting here that you're a part of the wedding feast, you're not. If you're sitting here and you grew up in a Christian home and because you're a good person, and you've been in church with your, with your parents, and you think, I'm going to the wedding feast. Based on that, you're not. Except you repent and believe and confess Him as Lord. That's it. There's only one way in, the narrow door. And once it's shut, it's shut. You know, and those guys who say, hey, I'm going to go to hell and party with my friends. You know, when it says, when Jesus says that you're going to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To the Jews, this is their hope. I'm a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm a child of the prophets, and I'm going to be in heaven because of that. And Jesus said, no, you're going to be on the outside looking in, weeping over your loss, and the gnashing of teeth. Let's... All through the Old Testament, this word, the, this phrase, gnashing of teeth, is used, and it's never once used of someone being afraid. You know what it's used of? Anger. Extreme anger. Hell is going to be a continual weeping over what you've lost and anger towards God. What you lived on earth is going to amplify and be lived in, he in, in hell. You're going to be under eternal torment, knowing that you deserve it, and hating God for it the whole time. There isn't going to be a party. Bottom line is, when God pulls his hand off of us, if God pulls his hand off of you and I, and who we are at the inside, close your eyes for just a second. Close your eyes for just a second. And I want you to reflect On the times that you've been your meanest and nastiest and worst self. Now imagine if there were no rules, no confrontation, no, nothing bothered you to stop you from pursuing that with your whole heart. Apart from Jesus Christ, that is who we are. Apart from the grace of God, that's who we are. And for those that are, are the people that we love and we know that refuse to, to enter through the narrow door, that's what they're going to have to live with for eternity. We should pray harder. 
We should love harder. We should have more compassion. Because we love people. But better yet, what if you were so grateful for the fact that God let you in that narrow door and you were so amazed by who he was and what he had done for you that you want to tell people just because of who he is? If you want, I mean, look, how many of us have ever met somebody? Okay, let me give you a story. Mom got to shake John Wayne's hand one time and got his autograph. I have never touched that piece of paper. That piece of paper has not one ounce of my DNA on it because she has protected it, put it under glass, right? Threatened us with death. <laughs> okay? That's an actor who all he ever did was entertain her. What if we took that same zeal for the creator God of the universe who made everything around us. For the creator God of the universe who rescued us out of our sin. Who paid the price on the cross so that we could have fellowship with God and live with him forever. What if we had that kind of amazing, I'm going to tell everybody I know Jesus because guess what? I know Jesus. And he's amazing. Our evangelism would look completely different if we started sharing because we wanted to glorify God and not because we thought we could save somebody. Because when you think you can save somebody, I don't know about you, but that's a lot of pressure. And I'm continually afraid if that's the way it is, I'm going to screw it up. Any of you guys ever think that way? But if all I wanted to do was tell you, look what God did for me and look who he is, and you do with it whatever you want, it's going to come out completely different. Girls, can you guys spot a guy who's desperate? <laughs> yeah. You know, when we're Christians and we're, we come across desperate because we, we want to win the argument, and it looks the same way. It, yeah, it's kind of creepy, isn't it? Yeah. But when we are confident in who we are as followers of Jesus Christ, as children of God, and we just brag about him. It comes across completely different. There's a joy and an excitement and a love that is captivating. This one way, the world would tell you that it's, ex that it's exclusive, that it's horrible, that, it, you know, that you're being judgmental. That they'll just put you all ty types of tags on it. The one way makes it all about God. That's what we don't like. And if we're all about God, I love what Matt said this morning. If we dabbled more in the Holy Spirit, we would have incredible power. If we just loved God more and we were excited about Him and who He is, Showing people this narrow door would be an exciting thing for us. And they would see it as such. Our job is to glorify God. That's all we've got to do.
We need to put his signature under glass, put it on display, <laughs> right? We have to, and we have to show that to people who one day will weep and gnash their teeth at God if, the, if they don't repent. And here's the beauty, here's the beauty of it. Being a child of the South doesn't make you saved. Nope. Being baptized when you're 12 doesn't make you saved. Going to VBS and, and saying a prayer when, they had, when you know, every eye closed, every head bowed, nobody looked, doesn't make you saved. <laughs> Repenting of your sins believing that Jesus Christ died and rose again for your, for your salvation, for your forgiveness, confessing him as your Lord. That's the narrow door. It's the only way in. And the beauty is, right now, there are people all over the planet In Micronesia, there are people going, going through, the entry, through the narrow door today. In Nigeria, there's people going through the narrow door today. In China, there are people going through the narrow, narrow door today. In India, there are people going through the narrow door today. In South America, there are people going through the narrow door today. In Central America, through the narrow door today. In Greenville, South Carolina, there are people going through the narrow door today. Amen. What a beautiful picture. I can't wait for the wedding feast. You know, Stuart has tried his very best to teach us some worship songs in Telugu. And Esther has tried to teach us some in Hindi, and we've really failed miserably. But, <laughs> but they're beautiful. I can't wait to see the expression of everyone's culture and language in loving this amazing God. From the north, the south, the east, the west, why are Sam and Britt where they are today? Because of this very verse. Because God is going to bring some people through the narrow door in their country, which we cannot name. <laughs> For security. And reclining at the table. Now, it's very important when Jesus says, the, he doesn't say the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He said, some who are first shall be last and some who are last shall be first. That means that, let's put this in our, in, in, in our context. There are going to be pastors in heaven and there are going to be some who don't make it. There's going to be drug addicts in heaven. And there's, going to be, and there's going to be some who don't make it. The Jews would have said that only the first will be first and the last will be left out. And Jesus is saying, no. <laughs> there will be some of all. For, for them to think that Gentiles would be given free access to the kingdom of God 
and we're going to sit and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets and all those who, through faith, believed in the promises of God in the Old Testament. It was ripping their heart out and throwing it. It it would be like calling somebody from the South a Yankee. (laughs) Claudette's back there giving you a smirk. (laughs) Exactly. But... The, the point being is it, there, are some, there are some neighborhoods we could go into where that would get you shot. Okay. And that's the way the Jews were. To, to, to say that those outside of their community would be God's children was unfathomable. And yet Jesus' message and what Luke was writing to, to Theophilus and telling him this is what Jesus said. This is why I write this to you, so that you know that you, a Roman, can enter through the narrow door. So what do we do? We strive, which means we repent. Or you be cast into hell, which is weeping and gnashing of teeth, mourning your losses and hating God forever. And you're not going to get there on your, on your own merit. You're not going to get there because of your lineage or your status. You're going to get there because you repented. And when Jesus says few, you notice he didn't give us a list of names. And he didn't tell us how many. You know, this, Jehovah Witnesses will tell you there's 144,000, which I really, I know there's some, some nuances to this, but I sometimes laugh and go, well, if there's only 144,000, by sure they've filled that, that number now. Why do you guys keep going? But the thing is, God doesn't tell us who. And he doesn't, call, and he doesn't tell us how many. And he doesn't tell us when it, what his definition of a few is. So we get the joy, the privilege of working with our Father as he saves people. He takes you and he puts you in somebody's presence. And then you overflow with the joy of the Spirit and outspews what you love about God and that person hears it and God brings them to life and they repent and they believe and you got to sit there and watch it the whole time. God did all the work. He, took, he, took, he did it all. But you're his child. And like a dad who's doing something amazing in front of his kid, you want your kid to be excited about what you did together about what you did together. So we're not going to worry about the word few because that's up to him what that definition is. We're going to walk with him and go with him and we're going to go into the presence of people and we're going to brag about our Father and we're just going to throw a party every time God does something and we got to sit there and watch Matter of fact, we're going to throw one of those parties next week. Okay? We're going to throw one of those parties next week. Miss Pam, can I tell him? So Miss Pam has entered through the narrow door. Yeah. And next week, 
she's going to declare it to the whole world in our little, in our little funky baptismal pool. <laughs> and you know what? Her son Charles got to be a part of it. He got to watch God do that work. How, what a blessing was that? That's what it's about. That's the whole sermon right there. Let's pray. Father God, <laughs> I love what Stuart said this morning. We're so unworthy and we shouldn't even have the right of being here except for your grace and your mercy and your compassion for us. I pray, Lord, that you would quicken in our hearts what a privilege it is to be called your son or your daughter. That the cries and the yells and the screams and the clawing and the, and the attacks of the enemy would bounce off us like so much water in a, in a, in a light rainstorm, Lord. That, that, Father, we would be so enamored with who you are, so in, so in touch of who, with who you are, that you would, we would stand in such amazement of what you do and, and the privilege we have of being there while you do it that we won't have any room left for attention to the enemy. And Lord, I pray that will overflow out of our hearts with every person we bump into and every person that we walk with, whether it's our relatives or our co-workers or our neighbors or our friends, Lord. I just pray that your Spirit would so well up in us Lord, that we can't help but tell people the good news of you. And we pray, Lord, that you would quicken their hearts and you would bring them to life, and they would repent. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.